Uh, we have uh, this one last message during our pandemic series we've been doing uh, over the last uh, month or so. And uh, last week we asked the question, is COVID-19, is it God's punishment? And uh, this week we're going to look at the question of, uh, is, is this the end times? Because there have been some folks who have been wondering, you know, is this the end times, because uh, there's a lot of craziness going on right now, and uh, a lot of different theories about what's going on, and so some folks are suggesting that it may be this is the end times. Uh, some, uh, for instance, are pointing to the book of Revelation even, and uh, chapter 6, where it says, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given uh, power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And you'll notice the word plague in there. And, uh, and so there are some folks pointing to this and say, this is, this is the revelation, this is the plague of Revelation chapter, chapter 6, and because it's in Revelation, this must be the end times. Uh, well, I will say that it is just kind of natural for us uh, whenever we face a crisis or whenever we're freaking out about the world or there's a major disaster or a plague or a famine or a war, to naturally think that this must be the end times. Uh, there's something about when we find ourselves in, in a major world crisis that causes us to ask the question, is this the end times? And, and we can just trace throughout all of church history occasions of major wars and major diseases that there are folks who begin to say, this must be the end days, this must be the last days. In fact, um, there was the plague of uh, Cyprian way back in the early days of the early church, in about 250 AD. Um, we'll talk more about this in a little later, but I mean, the early church was actually going through their own, own sort of COVID-19. And uh, at times, it was killing around 5,000 people a day in Rome. Uh, I mean, major sickness spreading throughout Rome. And, and of course, again, it's natural when things like this happen to think, well, this must be the end times. And this is exactly what the Bishop of Carthage uh, wrote. He says, the kingdom of God, beloved brethren, is beginning to be at hand. The reward of life and the rejoicing of eternal salvation and the perpetual gladness and possession lately lost of paradise are now coming with the passing away of the world, that he was suggesting that they were in the last days and the end was soon because, I mean, around them, 5,000 people a day were dying. And again, there's this, this natural thing in us that when a major crisis happens or a famine or a war or a plague, to think this must be the end days. And so, uh, again, we, we, we see this all throughout history. I mean, some of you may remember the year 2000, Y2K, <laughs> the craziness was coming, all the computers were going to shut down, and this must be the end, and there were a lot of predictions of the return of Christ, and this was the last days, because it was craziness, and I remember Y2K, and Marie and I were with some friends, and we went out on the deck looking over Nelson, waiting for all the lights to go out, and all the, everything to crash, and planes to fall out of the sky, and, and it just was normal. Uh, Mia... You remember the end of the Mayan calendar just a few years ago. Again, this, the end of the Mayan calendar. Everything's going to fall apart. Everything's going to blow up. Uh, this must be the end days, but we're still going. 
Uh, and there was a huge thing not long ago, just a few years ago, about the blood moons. And a lot of people were announcing the blood moons and the return of Christ. And now we have COVID-19 and the coronavirus. This must be the end <laughs> because, again, craziness is happening. And then some people are pointing to the, the locust storms in, in uh, various parts, and this must be the 10 plagues, and this must be the end. And, well, if this isn't the end, then there's more dates set, like uh, May 16th, 2022, this is when Armageddon is happening because there's another end time blood moon coming. And uh, the reality is, uh, Jesus told us that, he, he says this, but about the day or hour, no one knows. And so if someone throws out a specific date, I mean, Jesus said, no one knows. But there's so many dates being thrown out there that maybe someone's actually going to be right <laughs> at some point. But Jesus says, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. And of course, some people wonder why, you know, why didn't the son know about the time of his return? Well, when Jesus poured himself into human flesh, he, he lived like a human. He had to learn his ABCs just like we did. He had to, to learn to grow. He, the Bible says he, he grew in wisdom and, 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 and he didn't know all the things uh, coming. He, he, had to, he had to live like a human, so he didn't know the date of, of return. Obviously, he does now. <laughs> He's been exalted again. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And so we don't know the day or hour, but the, the Bible says we're to keep watch. And uh, I mean, he, he says, be on guard, be alert, keep watch. I say, say to everyone, watch. So it's good to be uh, thinking about the return of Christ and, and be ready that he doesn't find you sleeping, that we remain people who are seeking first the kingdom of God. In fact, it is a really, really good thing to be longing for the return of Jesus and be longing from the day when this earth as we know it gets wrapped up because we know what's coming. In Revelation 22, 3, it says, no longer will there be any curse. That when this, this earth as we know it wraps up in the return of Jesus, there will be no longer any curse. Now just think about that. I mean, think of how many things in this world are cursed. I mean, our work is always cursed. I mean, there's no job that's perfect. Every relationship is, is cursed in a sense that there's no relationship that is perfect. Every relationship has difficulties. We have emotional stuff. We, we struggle with things. I mean, uh, everything is cursed, but there is coming a day where there'll be no more curse. I mean, work will be perfect. Relationships will be perfect. Everything will be amazing. And that's something to look forward to. And Jesus says to keep watch. <laughs> this is coming. And this is why even in Revelation, John actually prays for this. He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. And this is a good hope that all of us should have. And even a prayer that we can pray, Lord Jesus, come. Now we don't know the day or the hour, but we're to keep watch and we're to be hopeful for sure. But it seems maybe perhaps that this day of the things wrapping up, however your eschatology works out, because there's 
differing views within Christianity on that. But it seems maybe that day is actually not even firmly set. I mean, there is this strange verse in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God or the day of, the re of Jesus' return and speed up its coming. It seems to say that we have a role in, in when this date happens, that we can speed up the day of the coming or maybe even put it off depending on how we live. Because again, God is a God who is relational and he's always wanting to work through you and through me and even his return. It seems that there's some sort of partnership between us and, and his date. So again, uh, we don't know for sure, but we are to be hopeful and we are to be ready. Uh, technically speaking, I mean, the phrase, the last days, the end times actually began at the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, on Pentecost. Uh, the, the end days, the, 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 the last days have been happening for about 2,000 years, actually, because we see in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is pulled out, uh, poured out, this is what Peter says. This is what was spoken. So the Holy Spirit is pulled, poured out, and people are asking what's going on, and, G and Peter says, well, this is a fulfillment of prophecy from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And we're living in those days when the Holy Spirit's been poured out, when all of us can prophesy, all of us can, can hear God on behalf of others and, and be intimate with, with the Father that we are living in the last days. So we know for sure that at least there's less time on this side of the death and resurrection than there was on that side of the death and resurrection. And so we, we are definitely living in the last days. Now, another thing we got to think about when we're wondering about COVID-19, is this the last days, is this concept of chronocentrism, which is the assumption that our time period is more important and more significant than other time periods, either past or future. In other words, that we read the entire Bible through our current time. It's this idea that, that well, COVID-19 must be the end days because I'm experiencing it, that, that my time and the events that affect me are more significant than any other thing that happened in history. Brooksy uh, Kavi uh, put it this way. He says, I wonder why you think this generation is experiencing the unfolding of prophecy in a way that previous generations did not. When previous generations generations have suffered through more severe outbreaks. Is it possible that we sometimes suffer from chronocentrism when, the, when reading Bible prophecy? That is a kind of egocentricity that focuses on our time, our generation, our contemporary experience as the time, the generation that the book of Revelation was really written for. Is some of our obsession with the Bible prophecy and contemporary events just the evangelical version of religious narcissism? In other words, we have this tendency sometimes to read it all through my life and my time and my events that my, my life in, in our times are the most important of all of history. And that this plague, COVID-19, is somehow the most important one of all history. But the reality is, I mean, the church folks, Christians like you and me, have gone through this many, many times in history. The world has gone through this many, many times in history. And we've got to realize the Holy Spirit was working through them in those times, that, that this is not the only focal point of history. 
And uh, just as many generations of Christians have gone through this thing and made it through, uh, we're going to get through this one as well. I mean, we look at COVID-19, and I looked up the stats this morning, according to one website. Anyways, there are about 250,000 deaths so far. far. A quarter of a million people have died from COVID-19. And uh, sometimes you've got to let that settle in a little bit, because that's 250,000 families that are mourning, that have, have lost a loved one. I mean, there are some people who are just putting this off and saying, this is no big deal. I mean, there are 250, a uh, quarter of a million people around this planet who are mourning the loss of the loved one. Even one person dying is no small thing. I mean, there's been a lot of deaths, but the idea that the COVID-19 is, is where all of history is pointing forgets about how many times Christians have been through this and how many times the world has been through this. I mean, we can go back to, you know, again, the days of the early church. The Antonine Plague killed five million people in the Roman Empire. Five million people died uh, during the season of the early church. Or the Plague of Justinian killed up to 10% of the world's population. 25 million deaths. And just imagine, 25 million we're at a quarter of a million. 25 million people have been, were wiped out by this plague. Just imagine how many people were thinking, this must be the last days. This must be the end times because people everywhere are dying. This must be Revelation chapter 6 or the Black Death in the 1300s. Uh, estimates between 75 and 200 million. Some say it wiped out over half of Europe's population. You can imagine like half of the Canadian population being wiped out. I mean, surely we would be thinking this must be when Jesus is returning. This must be the end days. Or the American plagues. Uh, 16th century when European settlers came to the Americas and they brought uh, viruses and sicknesses that were not uh, the folks in the Americas were immune to. Perhaps one of the most devastating plagues of all time. A uh, death toll between uh, 12 and 25 million people. Some say that up to 90% of the indigenous population in the West, Western Hemisphere died. I mean, imagine entire villages and cities being wiped out. Again, we might be tempted to think this must be the end times or the Spanish flu. Half a billion people got sick. 20 to 50 million people died. And that was during World War I. So there was this, this plague and a world war going on at the same time. Or the Asian flu, or two million died, or the, 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 the flu pandemic, the Hong Kong flu, where a million died, and, and now we're experiencing COVID, and we're at only a quarter of a million people. Uh, and so we got to think through history, and not just think that everything points to our generation. In this episode, when, when Christians have been through this a lot, the world has been through this a lot. Again, just think about like the Spanish flu, and the millions and millions that died. And at the same time, there's a world war going on. Just imagine how many people were thinking, this must be the end days. There's a war, and, and, and there, there's people being wiped out. This must be the last days. But it wasn't. The world keeps going. Uh, and then the Second World War. I mean, let's think about the Second World War. There's Hitler. He's taking over Europe. I mean, the amount of people who thought that he was the Antichrist. Certainly, he was the Antichrist figure. He was Antichrist-like uh, but a lot of people think this must be the end times. But, uh, but, but again, no one knows the day or the hour. 
And so we keep waiting and hoping, but to not think that all biblical prophecy somehow wraps around our time and our generation and this current plague when, again, we've been through this many, many times in history. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things. But, but this is all part of the, the last days from, from the day the Holy Spirit has been poured out until the time Jesus returns that during that time period, there's going to be wars and nations against nations and plagues and earthquakes. This is all part of the, the end days which span a great period of time. But Jesus says during those times, we are not to panic. So we don't panic over COVID-19. We trust in God. We realize that the end won't follow immediately, but it's coming it's, at some point. It's, it's coming. Now, another point dealing with COVID-19 and the end times that I've heard being passed around a little bit is this idea of COVID-19 and the mark of the beast. Now, who is the beast and what is his mark? If, if you don't know, it's, it's, it's partly found in Revelation chapter 13. The beast in Revelation is kind of this, this antichrist. He's the antichrist figure. It says this, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns. And on each head, a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and the mouth like that of a lion. And then this beast, if you read the story, he's got a little sidekick. And the sidekick forced all people, great, small, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. And so there are some uh, folks who are supposing that this mark in, in the right hand or the forehead is, is some sort of microchip, uh, that if you don't have this microchip, this computer chip in you, they're not going to be able to buy and sell in the future. There was a day that people thought MasterCards were the, the mark of the beast. And, uh, but there are some folks thinking that, that maybe this whole COVID-19 thing, uh, they're, they're going to come up with a, a vaccine. And in that vaccine, they're going to start implanting microchips in everybody. Or uh, maybe it's not in the vaccine, but maybe because of COVID-19, they're going to plant microchips in people to keep track of who's been, um, had a, uh, you know, the, uh, what, what fixes those viruses thingies? The antidote. What's the antivirus? Not the antidote. The what? The vaccination. Yeah, the vaccination. It's going to be uh, keep track of who's been vaccinated or not. Um, as far as I know, I did a little research that there's no way they have microchips that fit in vaccine needles. Vaccine needles are very, very small. They can fit in bigger needles because they do that to our pets, right? Um, but the question is, is, I mean, is this even talking about a microchip? Uh, well, first of all, you've got to realize that Revelation is written in apocalyptic language, which is kind of language we don't even have these days. It was popular in and around the time of the early church. It's very, very symbolic, filled with metaphor. It is not to be taken literally. It's very, very metaphorical. It was used to encourage hope and a sense of passion that, that, that God is going to make things, things okay. And so first off, we never take the book of Revelation literally unless you somehow think the Antichrist is going to actually have ten horns and seven heads, which most likely he's not. I mean, obviously it's filled with metaphor, and it's filled with these, these ideas of, of things that aren't literal. 
Now, this idea of a mark on your right hand or your forehead, I mean, to think that that's some sort of microchip being put in there is to, to fail to understand how the Bible uses the theme of a mark on your forehead or on your, your wrist. Because it's actually found all throughout Scripture. And to interpret this passage totally differently than all the other passages that talk about a, a mark on your forehead and a wrist is, is, is really absurd because the primary way, inter- way we interpret the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so we look at this idea of receiving a mark on your forehead or your, your right hand, and it's found in many, many passages actually in the Bible. We, it goes way back to Deuteronomy, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And it says this, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The whole idea of this idea of on your foreheads and your, is a mark of authority. That they were to be under the authority of God's commands. To, to place them on their forehead and on their wrist is to be under their authority. And so we see that there's this idea that we can place ourselves under the authority of God by putting a mark on our, on our forehead and the wrist. It's not a literal mark, but it means to be under the authority. In fact, the many Jews uh, right up to this day have the, the tefillin, or as uh, the English translation is phylacteries, that uh, Jesus mentions these in Matthew 23, that they, would, they have a little box that they put on their forehead, and it has a leather strap that they wrap around to their, their wrist, and in this box are certain verses from the Torah. And it's a symbol of how they're under the authority of God, and, and how they're surrendered to Him, and how they're under the Word. It all has to do about your allegiance. And the idea in Revelation is that either your allegiance... The mark uh, on your forehead or wrist is you're going to be uh, under the allegiance of God or under the allegiance of the beast. It doesn't have to do with a microchip or something that actually can be planted in your wrist. In fact, the vast majority of scholars uh, definitely don't think this is some sort of microchip. Here's just a couple. A couple. One says it symbolizes the spiritual control of heart allegiance and behavior. Or, or G.K. Beale The mark alludes to the state's political and economic stamp of approval given only to those who go go along with its religious demands. And so it has to do with with where your heart is at. And uh, we are to be people who have a mark on our forehead and on our wrist, the idea that that we're under the authority of the good God. And so this is what what it's actually speaking about. And so I wouldn't be too worried about some microchip being planted in you. But even if that were the case, I mean, let's just pause and say, let's let's say all these conspiracy theories or better theories, because there's a lot of theories out there going on about COVID-19. Let's just say that somehow they're all true. And let's say somehow there's going to be a a, a microchip in, in the vaccine. And let's go as crazy as possible. Let's say that all this stuff is true. Like, it doesn't actually change our mission. It shouldn't really change our mission at all. I mean, this is still true. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, even if all the craziest conspiracy theories are true, we are still to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, The mission is still the same. This doesn't change. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That doesn't change. Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. 
Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That doesn't change. You see, the mission of loving God and loving people, even if the craziest conspiracy theories are true, actually doesn't change our mission. We're still to be loving people and caring for them. And what happens sometimes to people get wrapped up in some really crazy ideas is they, wanna, they turn very selfish. I need to create a bunker. I need to hoard supplies. And I got to protect me, myself, and I. And I am going to escape from the world. And it actually takes you off mission. No matter what is going on, we need to stay on mission of loving God and loving people and having a servant's heart. We can take a lesson, actually, from the early church and their COVID-19s because they had two big ones. One plague uh, in uh, uh, 165 to 180 uh, killed five million people in the Roman Empire. Up to one-third of Roman citizens died. I mean, a huge, huge outbreak. And then there was the plague of of Cyprian. And at times, it was estimated to have killed 5,000 people a day in Rome. And so uh, they had their own COVID-19s, and they made it through. Some people ended up in heaven a little early. Uh, but, but, I mean, in the end, the world made it through, Christians made it through, and we're going to make it through. Uh, but what did they do? Sure, some were thinking that this must be the last days. Jesus must be returning. But that doesn't take you off mission. Uh, we're still on mission. Even if Jesus is coming back next week, we're still called to love and to serve and to not be selfish. <laughs> so what did the early church do? And, and there were reports of the early church. What did they do? They loved. They served. In fact, uh, I think I've noted this before in a message maybe a couple years ago, but there's a book written by Rodney Stark, who was one of the world's most renowned sociologists. who has got his master's and his PhD from Berkeley. He's written like 30 books, and I think it's like 140 peer-reviewed published papers. Super smart guy. Uh, He studied the rise of Christianity because it rose super duper quickly. In about 30 AD, or 33, depending on when you believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's about 1,000 people. And by 380, there were 6 million people. How did Christianity rise so quickly? And it wasn't by mass conversion. It wasn't by forced pressure. He found that it was primarily through love and service of Christians. The love and service of Christians. And one particular thing he notes is it was the love and service of Christians during their own COVID-19s. That when the outbreak swept through, that many of sort of the pagans, the non-Christians, actually fled the city and they left their loved ones behind because they were afraid of getting sick. And the Christians actually moved in and took care of these people and served them and fed them and nursed them back to health. And many, many, many people became Christians because of the care of Christians uh, during that time. Uh, They were overwhelmed by the love and generosity. You see, they didn't get taken off mission. And uh, it's tempting for us as Christians during this time to get shifted off mission, to just think about self and to hide out and, and, uh, and, and to, to run away from it all and to hoard. But that's not what the early, early church did. Uh, one bishop said this right during one of their outbreaks, one of their own COVID-19s. He says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. 
Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And that was both Christian and non-Christian. Again, and there were thousands and thousands who came to Christ because the Christians were taking care of them and their family members, uh, they ran. Tertullian, another early church leader, uh, talking about the outsiders looking in. He said, look, they say, how they love one another. So non-Christians were looking at the Christians and saying, wow, they really do love one another. For they themselves hate one another. And how they are ready to die for each other. For they themselves are readier to kill each other. Another early church leader said this, and this is why the early church cared for both the Christian and non-Christian. Why the Christian didn't run away and, and just think about themselves, but actually were thinking about uh, all people. One earlier church leader said this during their COVID-19. Uh, if we all derive our origin, our origin from one man whom God created, we are plainly all of one family. Therefore, it must be considered an abomination to hate another human no matter how guilty he may be. For this reason, God has decreed that we should hate no one, but that we should eliminate hatred. So we can comfort our enemies by reminding them of our mutual relationship. For we have all been given life from the same God. What else are we but brothers? Because we are all brothers, God teaches us to never do evil to one another, but only good giving aid to those who are oppressed and experiencing hardship and giving food to the hungry. The early church stayed on mission and we can take a lesson from that. That throughout this, even if all your uh, crazy conspiracies are through, even if you hold to some of the theories out there that uh, whatever, whatever you're believing in during this time, don't let it take you off mission. You are continuing to love and serve, and to be someone who is other-centered. And it is so amazing to see and to hear how many of you are doing that. As some of you are uh, on social media and picking up the phone and checking in with people and loving on them, not just thinking about your own self. Uh, some of you are, are, are driving for other people who are unable to go shopping. I know there are folks like my wife Marie who spent countless hours at her sewing machine sewing masks for people during this time. Uh, even during this, this time where we have to have social isolation, there are still ways that you can love and serve people. And if you find yourself in this time being taken off mission, then just take a moment and say, God, how can I get back on mission? Even if you believe some of these theories out there, God, God how can I get back on mission? Uh, what can I do to love and serve people during this time? You see, no matter what's going on, Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Father, we, we want to continue loving people. 
And God, there are a lot of ideas out there right now floating around about COVID-19, where it came from, and what it's doing, and what the future is. But God, uh, no matter what all those ideas are, God, we, we, we stick to what's most important. And that is being on mission and loving you and loving people. So God, I pray you would stir our hearts to think through ways that we can continue to love and to give and to serve. And God, I thank you for how you've been breathing out revelation on so many folks about how to do that. Again, from people sewing masks to putting funny videos on social media so that people can laugh during this time or whatever it might be, God, I pray you continue to stir hearts in a way uh, that we are thinking about others and not just thinking about ourselves. So God, we thank you that you are good and we thank you that you are amazing. So God, help us to be people who step out in faith, even during this time, to love people. In Jesus' name, amen.